Welcome to the Customer First podcast, hosted today by me, Avashi Rowe. I'm part of KPMG's Global Customer Center of Excellence, which works alongside the network of KPMG firms to help clients deliver profitable growth by putting their customers at the heart of their business. Joining me on the podcast today, I have Amanda Hicks, who is partner in charge for customer brand and marketing advisory at KPMG in Australia. I also have Torsten Fritz, who is a director in the customer advisory business at KPMG in the UK. Welcome to you both. Our global customer research um, into customer experience excellence found that many of the organizations that were really customer obsessed are also insight driven. These companies know their customers at a really deep and profound level. They're continually listening to customer feedback so that they can choreograph motivational experiences. So, Torsten and Amanda, you're both working in this area at KPMG, and I'd really like to hear from you as to why this approach is so powerful for organisations. Amanda, maybe I'll come to you first. The first thing is, of course, as everyone is moving to customer centricity, we need to know about our customers. And the only way to do that is through, um, you know, utilising as many data points that we have available. But I also think the thing that's really interesting these days about uh, insights and data and designing customer experiences is that now we can start to look at uh, designing customer experiences that are proactive in nature, trying to kind of anticipate customer needs or predictive, trying to uh, predict what a customer may or may not need or want, while at the same time building in fantastic efficiencies because the data also tells us how to do this in an efficient manner. And from my perspective, you know, working in data and insights for more years than I care to count, years ago we could always talk about what a customer wanted, but we had troubles being able to also deliver it in a really efficient manner. And now this data allows us to do both. It's a really fantastic way to start developing um, these amazing customer experiences that are just so profitable. Yeah, absolutely. Torsten, what's your view? I absolutely would agree with, with what Amanda said. And I, I'd probably add that um, with increased insight available to an organisation, uh, we, we also can see that this organisation's empathy to customers really increases. And that in its own right, I think, drives new solutions, new ideas, uh, both in the sphere that Amanda just talked about, but also more generally in how organisations treat their customers. So. I think that that available insight to organizations really helps the organization shift towards a much greater customer centricity, both in terms of proactive, preemptive um, um, actions um, and services and products they deliver to their customers, but also in how they deal with their customers on a day-to-day basis. Um, that, I think, makes a huge difference. And why do you think that there is um, so much opportunity for these increased insights? How has that come to pass? From my perspective, of course, it's as we're shifting to the digital channels and the way we're operating with customers in a digital manner, the availability of data that we have on customers is just exponentially uh, exploding. And in fact, when I look ahead and I think about the Internet of Things and, and how much data that's going to deliver to us even more on customers, it's just incredible. So the more data we have, the more we've had to think about, you know, firstly we can see how much we know about customers, but then also thinking about how we can use it uh, to really 
you know, do best uh, by mm -hmm. our customers to deliver those great experiences or to think ahead, not just for the now, but for the next. I think as Torsten said, that's what the most amazing thing is about the data as well, is it doesn't just tell us about what's going on now, but gives us a chance to think much more ahead. Mm -hmm. And do you think there's this risk of focusing on having too much data? I mean, what should organisations be mindful of there? I absolutely think that risk exists. And, and, and for me, the most important point for organisations here is to, to think of the business issue, the business challenge they're trying to resolve uh, with the data they have. Um, I've seen many organisations that understand that having data in all disconnected um, data silos is a problem. So they've, they've invested a lot of effort in getting all this data integrated, both from a technology perspective, but also from a conceptual perspective. But then they don't have that use case, that endpoint of what they're trying to achieve with that data. And I think that's really the most important aspect for organizations to really know what they're trying to do because then you can use that data very effectively. One of the things you always, I always think about is people keep talking about big data and you know what a, a kind of an experience changing, organisational disruptive thing big data has become. But I always think big data doesn't really, um, uh, it doesn't really describe what data should be about. It's not about big, it's about better. You know, we should know these use cases. We should know how we want to use the data. We should be asking the right questions of it. Just having big data isn't, uh, sufficient. We need to have better data and 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 more insight from it. But Torsten, the other thing I was thinking is, as well when I was reflecting on, you know, is there um, a danger about too much data? Is sometimes I think there is. You know, I've seen organisations that, uh, particularly when you think about real time feedback, for example, constantly trying to uh, change or uh, enhance their customer experience to meet a customer needs, and to really put that customer at the centre of everything they do and. Most of the time, that's really important and you know absolutely the way forward. But at the same time, you've got to hold on to what your brand is too and your brand experience. And I think that's sometimes the risk with too much customer feedback. Uh, if you don't also say, well, look, how do I want my brand to manifest? The customer is right in probably telling me about the pain point, but they might not always be right in terms of the solution, the way I should deliver it. You know, How do I stay true to my brand? So I saw a talk once about um, a, a well-known furniture retailer who we won't mention, but you'll probably know. Who, and it said if they, if you figured out what the kind of customer feedback they would probably always get, it would probably be something along the lines of, "I wish their furniture came pre-made, <laughs> and I didn't have to use an Allen key to always fix it." Um, <laughs> but if you took that away, then you take away its whole brand experience. You know, that is what the brand is. And so it's that mm. kind of juggle, isn't it, between customer feedback and understanding what the pain point is, but then going true to yourself as well. You're absolutely right. Availability of customer insights, and be that customer feedback um, or, or customer data, sometimes leads to sort of that feeling of we have to do something about it. And, you know, then mm. it almost sort of um, uh, getting back in touch with customers, you know, becomes a sort of a... a, a action in its own right but uh, Amanda is absolutely right that you have to provide um, your business your colleagues with some very very clear guidance as to what we stand for and then how that is being delivered both directly to our customers in the first place but also when we act on feedback so it's it's critical to to make sure that the insight that you have as an organization is used in a way that it's coherent with brand coherent with what you stand for.
you both have talked about the expanse of data. I'm hearing the term data lakes. Torsten, what does that mean? Data lakes is essentially, the, as you say, the, the, the term most widely used for um, companies, organisations, attempts to uh, integrate data in, in, in one place, and one place is not necessarily physically one place, but really have access to all relevant data at the point of need. That, that's what, what we see organisations trying to achieve when they talk about a data lake, whether that's being delivered via cloud, um, uh, cloud systems or, or in any other means, that, that's what we see data lake. And now that sounds incredibly challenging to do if you're, you know, particularly if you're um, a legacy organisation that's been around for, for a while and has got data in all these different places. Um, Amanda, what are some of the challenges that we're helping our clients with? How, how can organisations start to do this more effectively? I mean, obviously, when you're starting to look at legacy organisations, you're starting to say, where is different parts of data being held? And if we could unify them together, whether at an identified level or at a segment level, uh, what kind of greater insight could that deliver? Uh, the other use case that I'm seeing, uh, you know, increasing interest in is how to partner organisations come together, uh, you know, I think probably airline frequent flyer programs are a really good example of this. How can they utilise and augment their data from data within other companies, but they have to do it in a data-like way, so the de-identified manner of putting individual transactions together um, to start to really understand the customer, not just within their own um, service ecosystem, but how they might be acting and reacting outside of that. Uh, with, uh, you know, if they're shopping in other ways or how they use financial services or things like that, they can start to develop, um, you know, more interesting, more engaging, more encompassing experiences for their customers. I think I would add an element um, with all that data in one place. Um, we, we absolutely also need to think about how do we make sure this data is secure? How do we make sure we've got data in here that that you know we're allowed to have in, in many ways. So I think that element, as we start towards more data integration, generating more insight, understanding our customers better, um, understanding how we can secure that data, and then how we make sure that um, you know we comply with any relevant regulation that is out there is hugely important. And again, that's an, that's an area that um, sort of we 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 can help our clients. Oh, no, I was going to say exactly that. that uh, it's a really interesting area to talk about at the moment, isn't it? This idea of that balance between personalised experiences and you know, the opportunities data can provide versus you know, consumers' own fear or, or concerns, perhaps rather than fears, about privacy and, and how their data is being used. And it's so topical at the moment. I feel like we're at the moment uh, right now, we're in a really formative stage of all of us trying to understand how much data is coming in and how we can utilise it best for our clients while remaining trusted, trustworthy, um, respecting uh, consumer rights and obligations. And once we bed this down and, and have these discussions and get it right, I'm really looking forward to a future where we don't have to think about this in quite as much detail um, uh, as we do at the moment. It's very important, but hopefully in the future we'll have those rules really down pat. But it is it is such a balance at the moment. I see it top of mind for consumers whenever we talk to them, what I get, but what I'm afraid of. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, I think the other area is it, that element of trust that you, you, you hit on. 
um, just now, Amanda. I mean, our, our research shows that that personalization component is really, really important for loyalty. So it's really clear that using data makes customers feel unique, listened to, but there is that underlying kind of, do I really trust you with this? I mean, certainly for myself, from a personal perspective, um, I'm always really quite wary about filling in my details now. And I've got two teenage girls who are starting to enter the world of shopping on their own and putting in all of this different, you know, information. And on the one hand, it's pretty cool that they're getting all these, you know, really hyper-personalized um, services back. But as a parent, that makes me feel actually quite scared as to, to how their information is being stored and how it's being analysed. What would you say the risks of organisations if they don't do this properly? For me, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And you, you talked about, uh, again, trust uh, being absolutely critical. So I've um, recently worked with a, a global uh, organisation and, you know, in, in, in many ways, the they are not seen as a hugely trustworthy organization in their own right. The products they um, deliver don't, in their own right, engender huge amounts of trust. And what they're actually seeing is that when they now start to uh, build customer-centric propositions and services for, for which they require customers to provide data with them, they really struggle with customers giving that data to them. So that link between trust and um, the personalization that you're able to deliver based on the data you hold is, is for me, is, is absolutely clear in here. And that's a big risk for organizations because I believe even if you do currently own that trust of your customers that they are willing to um, provide you certain information, that can erode very, very quickly. And uh, I think that you, you really start getting into a problem, in my mind, not just from a managing your brand around the trust agenda, but also what you then can actually deliver from a product and service perspective if you're unable to, to, to use that data or you don't even get it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's just this ongoing circle of trust. It just takes one interaction to fail for you to completely lose that trust, right? I believe so. I believe so. And again, here in the UK, we've had some very public examples of you know data uh, appearing in the public notice you know mm -hmm. being easily um, available on the internet and and that is is really causing these organizations some some problems as i mentioned from a sort of reputation management perspective but also from a perspective of customers uh, entrusting their data so if you deliver services um, and products that are based on an increased availability of customer data um, I, I truly believe that you will be hampered in that in that attempt if you if you don't have the right trust um, with your customers. So we've talked a lot about how data is collected, what organisations can do to do that more efficiently, how the data can help organisations be a little bit more proactive in the way that they serve their customers, and certainly more customer centric. We've got all of this rich data. I wanted to talk a little bit about the analysis that organizations can do with this data and the technologies that they're using. Tell me a little bit about the trends you're seeing here. I think from, from my perspective, the, the, the trends we're seeing are really increasingly and more and more uh, towards uh, predictive um, offerings. 
to, to me, that's the, the biggest area where we will see improvements over over the next year. And that's both from a personalization perspective. So very much about, you know, how can we deliver the next best action, et cetera, um, to, to our customers um, as they are interacting with us. Uh, but, but I also, and I mentioned earlier um, around innovation, for me, using all of that available data to really drive innovation, to be proactive in a service or product development cycle, that to me is something that I think will be really exciting in the in the next in the near future. And and you know, software technology, uh, AI, as you say, or machine learning are absolutely critical elements of that. And I think that that's something that we will see. I think people are using the terms a lot. I think it's starting to permeate in certain use cases. You know, we're starting to see machine learning, for example, in marketing and communications, um, offering up the next best product. But when I'm talking to people in my organisation, for example, I was chatting to one of our AI experts just the other day, and they were wondering whether they could start to use this um, technology, for example, in higher education institutions to start really designing the customer experience from where to go for students from when they first uh, start to consider a particular university uh, or tertiary education institution all the way through to course learning, um, how they interact, how they enrol, how much, uh, what their kind of non-learning experience also is. And I feel like once we're starting to have these discussions about how you can embed machine learning across a cycle and um, across an organisation this way, it's starting to get really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I can really visualise that because both my girls are, are kind of starting to look at university. And I must say, it's a, uh, it's a very confusing process. So uh, from a personal perspective, that would be amazing. Um, are, you, are there any other examples you're seeing in the marketplace with AI, Torsten? I think big, big use cases that we see evolving. And uh, it, it's not new in its, in its core, but um, speech analytics, um, NLP, um, is for me a technology that is getting increasingly good in how it's used within organisations. I think that's that's something I I can see. Again, it's it's been around for a long time, but the use cases get more sophisticated. The integration of that data with behavioural data gets more sophisticated, and that drives the the more effective use cases, the more effective use of machine learning. And AI. So for me, that's an area that I think is quite exciting at the moment um, because that allows that even deeper understanding of the customer and then the solutions uh, on the back of that. Well, Stan, I was thinking too, I'm really excited about the idea of, you know, all of this AI machine learning moving into, you know, put it being put on top of uh, those technologies, such as in the Internet of Things, where we're starting to get increased biometric data from our customers or consumers as well, to really start learning not just what their preferences are and likes, but also to see how biological reactions might occur. I was reading just the other day about um, a major healthcare company, sort of in the sleep area, and how they've been investing an enormous amount of money in technology around data and analytics, I mean, in the billions. And, you know, they're starting to get their machines to start delivering live health information through to clinicians. Um, but the future is so ripe for them to be able to start, you know, ahead, thinking ahead about how to better deal with or serve these customers or, these, you know, these patients uh, through their health uh, equipment. Just amazing. I think you're 
absolutely right there, Amanda. And if I just sort of think back, maybe ten years sort of in the industry, that you know, customer inside industry, um, neuropsychology, you know, studies um, that were undertaken to understand the biological reaction of customers to specific services and products. Um, very qualitative in nature, um, you know, in the early stages, we, we still needed to use MR, MRT scans and things like that. All of a sudden, that data is available at scale, and we can really understand what makes customers tick, not just from a psychological, but also physiological perspective, and, and how that may help organizations to really uh, deliver better products and services to customers. I think you're right. It's, it's a really exciting um, prospect, actually. I think there's this empathy component that you talked about earlier, Torsten. Yeah. Um, so for me, empathy is is a result of organizations, or let's start with individuals, understanding who they're dealing with, and then being able to put themselves into their shoes. And that increased availability of customer in customer information that that deepens that understanding and you talked about a profound understanding of the customer that is true from an organizational perspective but for it to be really effective it needs to be true at an individual level within the organization as well so that every decision that is made within the organization um, has a customer as a factor as an influence now we, we can never be assume that the customer will always be the only factor driving decisions within organizations but as an organization as an individual making decisions within that organization I think it's important that you understand the impact of that decision and that's what customer insight can deliver and that is what I think really is that's what's happening in those organizations that really change the needle in customer experience and delivering better experiences because they have understood it is about having all that insight, having the analytics driving uh, decisioning, it's about proactive offering, etc. But it's also about our people understanding customers and I think that that sort of those two strands to me are critical and that's why empathy as you know, we see over and over again, it's one of those big differentiating factors for organisations. It's about giving greater insight to customers and, and also with the empathy about identifying smaller and smaller, as you said, almost to the individual level, you know, customer groups to um, design these experiences. One thing that's occurring here in Australia at the moment is we've had some issues in our banking industry and they've been... Uh, you know, they're, they're really looking at their models to ensure that they're customer-centred, but also a recognition that they, uh, you know, particularly for the big banks over here, they shouldn't just focus on those customers for whom, uh, you know, there's a high level of profit or, you know, their customer lifetime value will be very strong, but also that they have an obligation to vulnerable customers because everybody in Australia, like everybody in the world, needs a bank account these days. Mm -hmm. So... Um, uh, and so, you know, now using analytics to be able to identify the hallmarkers of what a vulnerable customer may be, to be able to size them in various markets or areas, um, to, you know, understand then if you're making a decision such as shutting down a branch or changing interest rates on particular products, 
how will it impact this potentially small but quite vulnerable and important customer group? And to give that empathy to everybody to say, you know, you have to understand these people have a very different life and very different way of dealing with this organisation um, uh, is really interesting to start using data in lots of different ways to identify these different cohorts. I think it's really interesting that you, you've both kind of talked about that interaction with people and, and the interaction with employees within the organisation. What does that balance look like? Because, you know, on the one hand, you've got all of this data that is coming from different places, different sources in order to serve these customers. But how do you train the organisation to understand that better work with that data better and harmoniously with the AI that is is involved with that customer interaction? I think for me, it, it's almost you need to treat your employees as customers of the insights that you're generating. That really is it for me. And, and, and what that leads you to, uh, uh, to, to think about is um, that you need to really design the insights so that your staff, your employees, your colleagues can work with them. So I think organizations will likely fail if they try to train all of their staff on, on deep inside expertise, technical expertise. That's not mm -hmm. what this is all about. For me, it's all about uh, making sure that the insights sits and fits within the decisions and the day-to-day -day activities of your colleagues. And help your colleagues understand how the insight can make that easier and better for them. That's, for me, where the focus needs to lie, rather than on trying to educate your, your colleagues on, on the technical heavy maths underneath that insight. Uh, we've all drowned in data, I think, personally. I mean, there must be copious times when we've all thought, too, but like, you know, I, I just can't. I just can't see any more numbers. Just tell me what that one thing is I need to know mm. or those two or three things I need to know to really make a difference and make an impact. And I think that's really the challenge when you're looking at using data across the organisation is that different levels of information are required at different points in, the, you know, in that, in that organisation. So your front office staff who are dealing with customers day to day, they may need to only know three or four key things that will really help them um, craft, deliver, um, uh, serve customers in a, you know, in the most effective way. Where when you're starting to look at strategic decision making, perhaps if you're looking for long range investment in product development or innovation, then you need much heavier insights to obviously drive that. So it's about delivering the right amount of data in the right time, I think, and, mm -hmm. and using insights in the right way, as Torsten's saying. I wanted to ask you both, how does this better use of data, insights and analytics, what are the other efficiencies that this drives? No, look, I think, you know, when we think about, um, you know, we, as you say, Avashi, we've been talking about how data can better serve customers, but going back to my original point, it's about how we can also do that in a really efficient manner, how we can do, for example, uh, scheduling or supply chain uh, or stock delivery um, uh, to make it really efficient and effective. I, I think that that, to me, is um, you know, some of the key use cases. I saw an example the other day of, uh, a, I think it was a pharmaceutical product in colds and flus, and they had looked at their sales data uh, over time, but then they overlaid it, of course, with weather behaviours and also virus data. Mm. I'm not quite certain where that comes from. To have a look at it and to start to be able to predict where they would need to deliver cold and flu medicine stock through faster and, you know, to have it available as needed. And 
So it's not just about the customer, it's also about the suppliers and, of course, the... the It's just connecting that whole organisation together, isn't it, rather than kind of all these different elements of the organisation operating in silos. It's that connectivity so that it's seamless all the way through. If you use the customer as your unifying entity here, what you actually then start seeing is that your business at the moment has processes and systems that absolutely are duplicating efforts. So we see that over and over again, where we start looking at uh, available data and, and use the customer and the customer journey as our as our analysis unit, for wanting a better word. Um, we, we organizations that we work with all of a sudden see that they have redundant processes. They send letters out from two different departments to the same person mm. within two days. It's, it's, you know, that's a very, very sort of tangible example, but that the principle here that organizations are often inefficient and ineffective in how they deliver their services to their customers, I think is true. And if you then look at all of that through the lens of a customer, you will find efficiencies um, that, that help the organization uh, as well as the customer. And that, to me, is what customer experience is all about, really, because it needs to be a win-win. Otherwise, you know, in my experience, customer experience and customer insights don't gain any traction within the organization. So that element, that focus, I think, is absolutely critical. Amanda, in the future, what does it look like for the customer and for the organization when they are getting the data analytics and insight right? Well, Abash, I mean, we can see, firstly, I think the organisation itself will be much more connected around a single point. They'll be talking more. I think the fact that everyone will have a much more unified purpose means an organisation working more cohesively, potentially a bit less siloed in that way. For the customers, of course, it's um, you know, it just feels at the moment like there's going to be just continuous upside as we start to understand them more and more, and services are delivered, uh, you know, in increasingly personalised ways. So I think going back to that win-win, I'm really hoping that that's where we get to. Um, that organisations are really efficient and customers are also at the same time reaping the benefit. Uh, so it's um, it's quite an exciting future, I think. Well, it really does feel like we're on the cusp, doesn't it, at the moment, um, between organisations that are doing this really well and actually indeed have started by doing this. So there's many examples in the entertainment industry where, um, you know, whole new product areas have been created by the analysis of the the millions and millions of data points that that, uh, brands have. I I agree with you actually, I'm sorry to interrupt, it is, I do feel like we're at a tipping point. I know a lot of the clients we're talking to, Torsten, I'm sure you are as well, we're talking to a lot of legacy clients who have Mm. had a lot of trouble wrapping their heads around this, but more importantly being able to get systems to work together so I think they've been a little bit off the mark, well, a little bit slow off the mark. We've seen a lot of disruptors come through, do things in different ways, the new business models, for example, the entertainment and subscription models there uh, leading the way. But I feel like the legacy organisations are really starting to get it. And we're either going to see those that really pound ahead now and do fabulous things as well, or I suspect they will just have to stop. Because if you can't use data correctly and start to deliver in this way, pretty soon you, you won't have a competitive experience to offer.
Yeah, mm. I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that, that I'm seeing at the moment is that, is, is that inside, historically, particularly in those sort of traditional organizations, inside is looked at as something that you deliver to the business. And I think the example you, you mentioned uh, of Ashi around, you know, in the, in the entertainment industries. The big difference here is that inside is actually part of the fabric of the business. Mm. And to mm. me, that is um, what organizations are starting to realize. I've, I'm working with a large global sort of bank um, at the moment who are designing inside programs from within the business. So traditionally, you know, you would have seen inside teams separate from the sort of actual business delivering to customers um, designing those programs that no longer is the case it's the business taking charge and inside teams supporting those programs and initiatives and for me that's always the aim of making inside part of the fabric of an organization and i think that is what is needed for for organizations to be successful moving forwards I think that's a wonderful way to sum up this this conversation, Torsten, insight as the fabric of the business um, for those organisations that are using analytics well to deliver better customer experiences. Thank you to all of the guests on today's episode. Join us next time as we continue our discussions on being customer first. If you would like to subscribe to our podcasts or read our growing library of blogs, visit kpmg.com forward slash customer first. Thanks for listening. Until the next time. Goodbye.